You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe not because it's bright and sunny and warm outside, but just because we're in the Pacific Northwest. And that's all that really matters. It's just such a gorgeous place to live and work. Uh, I just can't tell you how pleased I am to be living here. You've got the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live at 4 o'clock every Wednesday from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And... Uh, this show is really all about you. You can control the topic if you just give us a call at 646-721-9887. And just press 1 because that kind of lets us know you want to get in on the conversation and you're not just calling to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And I'm flying solo today. Uh, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, Robin uh, texted me from Urgent Care. So, um, you know, any good thoughts or prayers you can send her way would probably be greatly appreciated. Not sure what's going on. All I know is she's not here to help me out. So forgive any technical errors that happen today or if I just run out of things to say because I can't depend on Robin coming in to save me when I'm getting a little bit loopy. But there's lots to talk about today, so I doubt I'll run out of things to, to, to say because there's been all sorts of activity locally and things going on, uh, homeless camps, and we talked about uh, health outcomes by zip code basically around the county in, at the board this week. There's just been all sorts of things going on in the news. You know, and, and on top of all that, I'm trying to do a little bit of house cleaning at my office at, at the county, which, you know, I keep my house pretty neat, but the one place I don't keep neat is my, my desk, you know, where I do my desk work. My office is also one of those places, and it kind of gets a little piled up sometimes. So I was doing some stash and trash work at the office, and I came across the printed out text of a speech I gave in 2011, which I'll probably read later in the show, but it was a tax day speech, you know, April 15th in 2011, that I think a lot of what I have to say in that is really important to hear today as we get ready to go into the next legislative session where they're looking for $2 billion, that's billion with a B, in taxes from Oregonians. So um, we'll talk. We'll, we'll we'll replay that 2011 speech later in the program. But I wanted to start out talking a little bit about this whole idea of health outcomes by place, because it was an interesting discussion we had. We also got an update on our suicide prevention um, and uh, 
uh, efforts here in Lane County and some of what we're trying to put in place. But we, we did have our, our uh, update on our, from our health department basically on our public health side. And what they concentrated on in this update was this whole idea of, you know, depending on what neighborhood you live in around Eugene or Springfield or in Lane County in general, there's a lot of different health outcomes. And the most recent data that was put out there by those neighborhoods was life expectancy, which, you know, there's some areas, you know, have a pretty high life expectancy, like the Cal Young neighborhood of Eugene, you know, which is that Ferry Street Bridge area uh, inside of Beltline. Uh, and then there's the Trainsong neighborhood in Bethel, you know, that's up against Highway 99 and, and railroad tracks there, that has a lower life expectancy. You know, Cal Young's got 84 years of life expectancy and the Trainsong neighborhood 74 years. And you can kind of jump around the county and kind of get those sort of things. Like if you even go over to Springfield, the Marcola Hayden Bridge neighborhood up there in North Springfield has an 80 year life expectancy. But if you just go a little bit to the south of there, close to Main Street and 28, and that neighborhood only has a 74 year life expectancy. And it you know, kind of bounces around like that all over the place um, as you look across the county. And what was interesting is, is the staff kind of presented this, you know, from their outlook and some of their um, backgrounds and agendas and the things they were looking into that were, you know, help distinguish why some of these discrepancies are was whether there is easy access to, to retail tobacco retailers, you know, what was the body mass index average of adults in that area? Was there easy access to supermarkets and was there easy access to parks? You know, so those are, you know, kind of some of their determining factors that they were saying could add, you know, make this death, you know, change health by place. And I was kind of a little taken back by that because, you know, a lot of that um, is really irrelevant in some ways. Because, you know, and even I'm not even sure the ratings work very well because they rated the Cal Young neighborhood low in access to supermarkets, but as I look at the Cal Young neighborhood, there's multiple supermarkets available to it. You know, the Safeway on, on Coburg Road, there's a PC or a market of choice um, up there uh, across from the high school. You know, there's a lot of choices there. They can go across, you know, the highway there on Green Acres to um, Walmart and a few other places. They're not that far from downtown in a farmer's market. You know, it just, it seemed a little surprising that that was, they ranked low there. Um, and of course, the, the Bethel neighborhood ranked higher and I would, and I'm trying to think about where there's a grocery store on Highway 99 um, between Beltline and Chambers. <laughs> not really thinking of any, closest one there might be the Winco off of Barger. Um, so I kind of, it was kind of interesting to see those rankings and, and that's how they were trying to, to to determine that. But they, they also said, you know, it might be that the folks in Cal Young have more access to automobiles and are, are less dependent maybe on public transit to get to grocery stores and all that. So it, that would, might be the offsetting factor. For me, as I looked at the neighborhoods and across the map from the county as to which ones had had, had better health outcomes as 
uh, shown by life expectancy and some that didn't, it really came down to, um, you know, a couple factors for me, you know, which, which have been, you could distinguish those neighborhoods by household income. You know, there's definitely a difference between Cal Young and Trainsong or the Hayden Bridge neighborhood versus Main Street, you know, in Springfield. Educational attainment in, in the household. You know, I'm pretty sure that if you looked at across the Cal Young neighborhood and the Trainsong neighborhood, you'd see a difference in how many college graduates, master's degrees, PhDs, or even high school diplomas um, are, are there. The other thing I thought would be, you know, just glaringly apparent is home ownership versus rental. You know, in, in those those neighborhoods is clearly a differential there. And single family dwellings versus multifamily dwellings. So you may have may not have good access to parks, which Cal Young got dinged for, but if everybody's got their own private park in their backyard and the neighborhood streets are quiet because it's a single family neighborhood, so kids can actually you know, ride bikes and play in the street to a certain degree, um, that that kind of changes, you know, your ability to get exercise and be outdoors. You know, taking care of a yard and, and the, the work it takes to take care of one versus somebody that lives in an apartment, you know, their outdoor space is a balcony. Just doesn't quite get the same amount of exercise necessarily. So I, I just kind of surprised me that that, you know, in staff's mind, they're looking for, you know, kind of their usual suspects and their pet sort of things they want to talk about. And for me, it was kind of obvious that you could have done this by household income, educational attainment, home ownership, and type of housing available available in neighborhoods and easily gotten that map to work across the board that way pretty easily. You know, that there wouldn't have been kind of these exceptions if you're having to try and explain why the access to supermarkets doesn't quite work between Cal Young and Trainsaw. Just kind of one of those interesting things. Uh, as, as you think about, you know, we sit as the Board of Health, and one of our responsibilities is to try and promote um, and protect public health, you know, as, as, a, as a government. And uh, so trying to understand the drivers behind uh, the health of the community is an important aspect and the, the aspect that place plays in that. And the thing is, you can't really just, you know, move people from one neighborhood to another and hope they, they, they get healthier. You kind of got to think about as a government, what policies do we have that will actually promote you know, what knobs can we turn, so to speak, that will help make neighborhoods healthier? And it seems like, uh, you know, anything we can do that raises income levels for households, that's a good knob to turn. Yeah. Anything that helps people, you know, get and obtain education and training, you know, that's, a, that's something we should be trying to help out with. Anything that helps get towards home ownership and keeps the cost of housing down so people can, can own homes. 
you know, maybe like improving our house, you know, availability of housing and, and housing supply. And then this, this drive towards, um, you know, away from the, the traditional single family suburb that, it, that everyone wants to force us into these high density situations might not be the best in some ways. So it's kind of interesting. I'm kind of curious what your takeaways might be of that and, and what policies you think might promote healthier neighborhoods. One of the things I think that might be important is also promoting neighborhoods that have diversity in income, trying not to so much segregate um, uh, housing types and, and into one housing type is heavily concentrated here and another's almost at and that same housing type almost absent in another area tends to concentrate incomes and if, we, if they're intermixed a little bit better I think that also will help uh, in in the whole idea of, of um, healthy neighborhoods but I'd be interested in knowing what you think would make a healthier neighborhood and what policies you might put in place if you were a local government um, official you can give me a call at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just call the Bose Nose Show here. We'll put you on air, and we can talk about that or anything else you want to talk about. Otherwise, you're going to talk about what Jay wants to talk about today, even though he's being heavily distracted by one of his poodles who's decided that she really needs to be pet right now. But Mabel can't participate in the show and be understood. So we're we're gonna just scratch Mabel while we're while we're trying to talk on the air here and talk about what you want to talk about. Again, if you call six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven, we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But if you don't call in, we'll talk about some other things going on around the county. And you know, something I didn't promo necessarily in my Facebook messages was we sat as a joint meeting with the fair board this morning and got a report on last year's fair and kind of the health of the fair and revenues and some of the attendance were down just slightly from the year before, but we kind of had a really hot day the last day of the fair and it really um, depressed the, the uh, number of people that came on Sunday of the fair this year. It also held down how much, how many pounds of, uh, canned food we collected for food for Lane County. We only we only collected twenty thousand pounds. That's all. Instead of you know, I think our record's twenty seven thousand pounds. Um, but still, it's pretty amazing what we do uh, for food for Lane County at the fair. But the fair, um, you know, again was in the black. Did did pretty well. Uh, attendance was pretty darn good. You know, we had a lot of exhibitors. Um, Seems like our animal exhibits are, are getting back up to speed as 4-H, and, and uh, now we're going to be bringing in uh, Future Farmers of America doing exhibiting next year. So hopefully we'll continue to see growth in the animal exhibitions. What's going to be interesting coming up this year with the fair is we are not going to be in competition with a couple of country music festivals that used to take place in the summertime and how that changes fair um, uh attendance and how it changes uh, our ability to get um, higher um, caliber of, of stage acts because we're not competing with those uh, those 
particular events that are a single weekend like that and, and, you know, are willing to pay an act to come in that's not on a group of tours and going from, you know, fair to fair to fair, um, they drive up the price and all. So it'll be interesting to see how it changes without the Willamette uh, Country Music Festival and a few others that have kind of gone by the wayside. Um, it offers, I think, a, a great opportunity for folks to check out the fair. If you haven't been to the fair in the last oh, five years or so, um, it's really gotten super family friendly. There's a lot of free entertainment in the midway now. Uh, you can always walk through the commercial exhibitors, all the art exhibits and animal exhibits, and not spend a dime beyond the $9 adult emission, which is just about what it costs to go sit in the dark for two hours and watch a, a Hollywood movie, which doesn't always do its best to entertain you, let alone pay for the popcorn there. Um, but it definitely, uh, it's a bargain for a family to get in there, especially if you take advantage of some of the things like the advanced sale of um, ride bracelets, uh, where the kids can just ride all they want, um, and you can get those bracelets uh, heavily discounted uh, before the fair opens. Uh, so was a good report on the fair. And then after the fair, the commissioners went to jail. Yes, the commissioners were in jail today. Uh, actually, four out of five commissioners, Commissioner Lykin couldn't uh, make the inspection. And uh, we got to, we have a, a statutory obligation every year that we have to go, every calendar year, we have to sometime during the year inspect the jail and um, give it basically a pass-fail on, on the inspection. Um, and today was our day to go and inspect the jail and tour around it. And I think people would be surprised if they ever did go, and, you know, go to the jail because there's just so much going on that's meant to um, help our inmates. You know, one of the things people may not realize is our jail with its 382 inmates has a population that's somewhere between 60 to 70% challenged with some mental health issue. So by that reading, if you take 60 to 70% times the 382, that makes the Lane County Jail the largest mental health facility in the county. It's even more patients than are up in Junction City. So we are the largest mental health provider in Lane County, and we actually have six mental health professionals that are staffing the jail, three of which are coming out of our behavioral health that the Board of Commissioners added, three that are part of our um, CFMG uh, uh, medical contract for the jail. And we're doing so much more to try and make sure the inmates stay stable. In fact, we actually uh, moved a lot of the inmates with those issues to a wing of the jail that has natural light and allows them to be able to see outside, keeps them a lot calmer, because uh, after we, we were working with um, uh, Disability Oregon, um, that was one of their suggestions. So we, we're just doing a lot, you know, group therapy, uh, yoga, cognitive behavioral therapy that gets started in the jail and it, it gets continued with our parole probation officers. Um, 
we're really working to help these folks out because um, that's, you know, a lot of the population in our jail ends up there because of behaviors that are due to a mental health issue. And, and, and sometimes they come in in crisis, but it, it's really um, pretty amazing. You know, as we tour the jail, we go through the, you know, the medical clinic and how they're set up to, to treat inmates, um, you know, that present, you know, a lot of inmates. We actually have now a medical staff that's, that's there 24 seven in our intake area because quite often inmates come in with, you know, medical issues, either, you know, injuries, you know, that were um, happened before arrest or during arrest. Uh, they come in uh, on some kind of uh, drug or alcohol and are dealing with some kind of uh, symptoms from that. Uh, they may already have a medical condition that was exacerbated, uh, you know, so just having a medical professional there to assess them immediately upon entry into the jail has prevented a lot of issues um, from cropping up because they they you know may not have they may have been missed or something like that. Somebody gets put into um, temporary detention uh, without a lot of um, supplemental uh, eyes on them or something like that, and they they go downhill and you know. We don't want to have that happen, so we've we've made sure we have medical staff at intake. You know, our medical staff's there, and, and there's has the ability to see inmates on a regular basis as they're detained there. And uh, really, it's you know pretty amazing how we've we've kind of gotten that physical and mental health worked into our jail population, and just the the uh, rehab and redirection work that's starting the moment inmates get in there. That and probably one of the most innovative things we have going on in our jail is a lot of the, the folks that get booked into our jail and go come into booking never actually get housed in the jail. We have uh, rooms available that are staffed by circuit court staff that will assess folks for um, ability to release um, on a release agreement with the court right there in our intake area and and that ability to go through that assessment and release um, keeps some of the folks out of the jail and, and the cost of housing them in the jail that don't need to be there and if we can get those folks uh, on a release agreement and if it's somebody that's a little bit more uh, concerning they you know might be released with an ankle bracelet on so that we can keep an eye on them that saves us a lot of time and money if they never even have to enter, the, you know, the, the the housing portion of the jail. If they just are in that temporary detention and book in and get to see uh, the court folks and the courts make a decision on a release agreement, uh, that's you know pretty pretty much a cost savings. And it prevents us from overcrowding the jail and having to release folks on capacity-based releases that really shouldn't be putting out there. Um, so it, it, the jail, pretty amazing operation, pretty amazing how it's changed over the years and how much it's set up now for um, these, you know, dealing with these folks with these um, mental health issues and, and trying to not exacerbate those mental health issues, but actually trying to, um, you know, de-escalate and bring these folks to a calmer level 
and get them to start dealing with some of those issues. And as we have our our behavioral health staff there actually getting, you know, warm handoffs um, to other mental health providers as they come out uh, so that we can try and prevent this recidivism and this, you know, constant revolving door of, you know, arrest for behavioral crime, you know, related to a mental health problem, coming into jail, you know, get an overnight stay maybe, stabilized, uh, released on, you know, an agreement, you know, that's, you know, they're going to show up for basically what's a misdemeanor charge in a municipal uh, court, you know, because they're probably arrested by EPD or Springfield police, and they're back on the street, and without any treatment, they spiral down, and next thing you know, they're back in the jail on a behavior-related crime. So um, trying to kind of break that cycle, kind of pretty important thing. So kind of a busy week, you know, we're talking about everything from, you know, health outcomes, talked a little bit about suicide prevention in the community, got to honor um, a, a young man uh, at, at the county um, Hearing uh, at, at the county uh, board of commissioners meeting, board of health, uh, Carson uh, Leiden, um, who's uh, was honored nationally for his ability to bring attention to youth suicides and the money that he raised um, through his uh, he had an, uh, organized an event, uh, darkness out of the darkness walk. And uh, he raised $17,000 uh, towards suicide prevention and awareness programs with that uh, event. And uh, it was really nice to be able to recognize him at the Board of Commissioners meeting. So, you know, we got some pretty, pretty incredible youth. And the kid's just a sophomore in high school. Pretty amazing young man. You know, when he got up and spoke and everything, I was assuming he was, you know, I knew he went to Churchill High School. I was assuming that he was a senior. He appeared older to me and was so well-spoken and just thinking of the accomplishments that I'd heard he had done, I was, my assumption was he was a senior. And the kid's only a sophomore. Imagine what an incredible leader he'll be for our community in another three or four years. So pretty, pretty cool thing to be able to recognize Carson and his whole family was there, so it was a really nice moment. So changing, you know, directions a little bit here on the Bose No Show, and I just want to remind folks, you can call in and change directions for me anytime at 646-721-9887. So I want to kind of get to my what were they thinking award for the day. Because, you know, this is the, the thing Robin and I came up with is, you know, what were they thinking? It all started out with, you know, who in the heck figured out the lane changes and zigzags and all that on 6th and 7th Street when they put in the MX and how lanes suddenly end and, you know, lanes suddenly become right turn or left turn only lanes and people just have no idea um, how to ne negotiate that sometimes. And, boy, can it get to be a mess in the dark, in the rain at rush hour. So, you know, that was kind of what were they thinking? That started the whole what were they thinking award on the Bo's Nose Show. And this week's recipient, da, 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 Kate Brown, our illustrious governor, who has decided to go back on a tax break for 
sole proprietors that she came up with, which was hardly a tax break because it was only going to be up to $11 million, which when you talk about the revenues being collected in the state in the billions is a tiny fraction. And um, she wants to take it back. And her proposal to generate new revenues is a reverse course on that. But hold it, Kate. What were you thinking when you decided to hold a special session of the legislature, a one-day session to pass that tax break that you just thought had to be done because of fairness? That this is all about fairness to these sole proprietors that were going to be left out of a tax break that got reversed by the legislature when they, they kind of um, separated Oregon from the, uh, the, the Trump uh, tax uh, reductions that were done previously by Congress. Uh, so you call a special session cost the taxpayers a bunch of money to bring the legislature together for a day, pass a minuscule tax break for a small group of business owners, and now you're taking it back. What are you thinking, Kate Brown? That short on revenue that we need that $11 million back from those sole proprietors? So that's the What Were You Thinking Award for the day for the Bose Nose Show. If you've got a What Were You Thinking Award, I'm always open to suggestions from, from our uh, listeners. You can either call in at 646-721-9887, or you can actually email us, you know, here at, at you know, KRBN Radio. And that's, you know, just drop us a quick line. And I'm sorry, I just misplaced our email address. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's embarrassing. Um, talk at krbnradio.net. Again, that's talk at krbnradio.net is our email address. I'm sorry about that. That's what happens when I'm flying solo without my producer extraordinaire, Robin. And uh, just, you know, one of those things that happens with a Bose Nose show. So I want to get to this whole speech I gave, and now it's, you know, almost eight years ago that I gave this speech, and, you know, think about, you know, what was going on in the country at that time, you know, we had we'd gone through this, this whole craziness of, um, you know, the bank bailouts, uh, TARP, and uh, the stimulus package and the bailout of the car industry and everything. And it is just, you know, pretty incredible, uh, you know, where we were at the time and what, what the concerns were uh, with fiscal um, on the national level in quite a bit at that time. Now, there's a, a, a lot going on everywhere else as the country was recovering from the 2008 recession, but it was really uh, kind of interesting, uh, you know, what was going on at that time, you know, across the country. I gave a speech on tax day, so you can imagine, um, you know, you know, what people were, were thinking uh, at that time. But it's amazing how much this speech translates to today. 
So I'm just going to kind of real quick read through the speech for folks because I think the message it has about economic liberty and freedom is really important and, and about taxes and, and the need for government to be wise with our taxes. So I'm just going to jump right in here with my speech from April 15, 2011. Today I want to talk to you about our most basic human rights. What is that most basic right? Some might say freedom of speech or religion. Others might argue that freedom of movement or the right to bear arms. I believe our most basic right is the right to be secure in our own property and person, broadly described as private property rights. This is the right of ownership of the fruits of your labor and of yourself. Sometime long ago, when we were just roaming bands of hunter-gatherers, humanity decided that it was unfair and tyranny to allow the physically strongest of us just to take food or belongings of the weak who had put their time and labor into acquiring. Thus, the first governments were born to protect the rights of ownership. Without protection for this basic right of private property, freedom is lost. If I can just take your property that you have, sorry, that you have earned through investment of your time and treasure, then your labor is benefiting me for no compensation. We have a term for labor without compensation, slavery. What does freedom of speech or religion mean if you are a slave to another? Another term for the right of private property is called economic liberty. Governments that protect economic liberty promote prosperity and all the other freedoms of their citizens. Just look what happens when those protections fail, like they have for the citizens of Mexico, and this was 2011, could probably substitute Honduras in that, for that country. That was a little outtake from the speech there. Back to the speech, where drug lords and corrupt officials can take property at will from the weak. Chaos, chaos and poverty run rampant. Why work all day in the hot sun just to have someone steal your crop? Why risk your treasure and start a small business just to have that business taken by fiat? Without knowing your property is secure, then there is no motivation to create wealth. Governments that guarantee private property rights and economic liberty have citizens that create wealth. The five countries that have the highest economic liberty as ranked by the Heritage Foundation are Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Another outtake from the speech, by the way, it's the same five countries. The only issue is Australia has slipped down to number five today. All countries thought of as prosperous and desirable places to live. The five countries with the lowest economic liberty ranking are North Korea, North Korea Zimbabwe, Cuba, Eritrea, and Venezuela. And of course, the five countries today are North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, Republic of Congo, and Eritrea. So hasn't changed much there either. All places that we consider the citizens to be repressed and near slaves to their government. This week was the 
and this was 2011, so it's actually now almost the 158th anniversary, the shelling of Fort Sumner and the start of the Civil War. And I'd been reading a, a book at the time called A Patriot's History of the United States. Leading up to the Civil War, Southerners were trying to provide an intellectual and moral defense of slavery. One of those defenders of slavery was a Virginian named George Fitzhugh, who also happened to be a socialist. Fitzhugh argued that slave labor was actually free labor because Southern slaves were liberated from decision-making. You know, funny, our current government is trying to free us from having to make decisions like, you know, what kind of light bulb to buy, in fact, a couple of my fellow commissioners, and mind you, this is back in 2011, wanted to free you from that age-old conundrum, paper or plastic. I guess by Fitzhugh's thinking, they are actually freeing us by enslaving us. What they are really doing is deciding what you can purchase with the fruits of your labor and thus infringing on your rights. But I digress. I understand that your right to your person and property is paramount. That is why I want to limit governments. That's that is why I want to limit government's power to take your property or the fruits of your labor without compensation. To allow government to grow uncontrolled and take private property through taxation is to allow government to enslave its citizens. I understand that every dollar of tax collected from you represents your time spent laboring to earn it, and that it should be used wisely to provide protection of your individual rights. If those tax dollars are just given out to another individual or organization, then you are being made a slave to those receiving the tax. Right now, our federal government is enslaving your grandchildren with a $14 trillion national debt. By the way, update to 2018, it's now $21.8 trillion national debt. And they're enslaving our economy with a $1.6 trillion deficit, which I think is much larger now also. Um, that is why we are demanding real deficit reduction from our federal government, and we demand that our state and local governments live within their means. So that was 2011 I gave that speech. And I ended the speech by saying anything less is to allow our country to slip down the slippery slope of economic tyranny and into the slavery of excessive taxation. We demand the right to be secure in our property and person and to be allowed to enjoy the fruits of our labor. We demand economic liberty for all. So think about that. That was 2011 I gave that speech. And as you're hearing the news of the day, the bills people are thinking about putting forward in the legislature, how much of that is actually growing economic liberties or contracting them. You know, whether it's your right as a consumer to be able to choose if you want to have a plastic straw and let the free market decide the use of plastic or whether you want government to dictate that. You know, whether we're going to have, you know, bans on plastic bags or taxes on plastic bags you know, are we going to have $2 billion revenue package, of which they still haven't said what tax they're planning to increase or create to, to make those $2 billion, let alone what the indirect taxation they're looking at through some kind of carbon uh, 
cap and invest bill that they're looking at right now, which is also referred to as a carbon tax, uh, that'll show up in the cost of consumer goods, but not as a tax on a tax bill anywhere for the citizens of Oregon. So, you know, as you think about, you know, what's it truly mean to be free and why did we form governments in the first place? I've always felt that some of the most important things government establishes is protecting people's property from theft and fraud and setting up a court system in which contracts can be enforced between private entities. So we want to set up the rule of law that protects private property and where everybody's equal under that law and establish a court system so that our free market capitalist system of contracts for the exchange of goods and labor between private parties can be worked out when those contracts are in dispute. And that's one of the, those are the major functions of government right there. Everything else is kind of extraneous. So trying to do those things with the least amount of taxation, which is allowing folks to keep that private property, which is part of, you know, you know if you worked hard for it um, and spent your time and treasure in gaining additional wealth, having that wealth taken from you without compensation, you know, that's enslavement to a certain degree, economic enslavement. And we want to do as little of that as possible necessary, that's necessary to establish a system that protects your ability to continue earning that wealth and protects your ability, you know, to, to hold on to that wealth from theft, you know, to prevent theft and prevent fraud. And when you really think about it, those are, those are probably the most important aspects of government. And the other freedoms and liberties naturally get protected from a system that protects economic liberty. You know, when you think about a system that's trying to stay away from economic, you know, from restricting choice of the consumer, that's also a system that is, you know, staying away from restricting free speech. It's also a system that's, you know, built to not restrict. Um, practice of religion. So that that's really um, such a basic fundamental right is your right to you know the enjoy the fruits of your labor. When they wrote the Constitution, they were actually you know life, liberty, and private property were the original words they wanted to use, but they were afraid that using the term private property with the southern states still having slavery would um, enable those states. So they changed the phrase to pursuit of happiness, which was basically enjoy the fruits of your labors, i.e. private property rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and enjoying the fruits of your labors. Really important 
aspects of rights in general and really important aspect for us to be thinking about as our legislature is looking into you know, reaching for our, our wallets and our purses and trying to shake another $2 billion out of Oregon's economy to run the state government and the programs the state supports. I could, you know, be a little bit more understanding if I was seeing that the state government was taking as much care as local Lane County government has in controlling the cost of providing government services to Oregon citizens. But unfortunately, they've had almost no control. Just look at the what were we thinking award today. How much money did Governor Kate Brown waste on that one-day special session only to immediately after the election start reeling that, that tax back in that that one-day special session allowed for? How much of a waste in taxpayer resources was that? And she wants to raise our taxes to support that kind of of government waste. We see no effort by the Kate Brown administration to control PERS costs. We see no effort by the Kate Brown administration to take a harder line in negotiating state employee benefits and salaries. You know, we see no effort really to, to look at programs that aren't working and rework those. To look at, you know, whether we're just growing employees or whether we're actually growing the services in that in a department. Thank goodness for Secretary of State Dennis Richardson and some of the work his audits are doing. Because, you know, frankly, that's the only place where it seems like we're getting a little bit of financial control in the state is just by the pressure of the audits that the Secretary of State's office has started doing since he became Secretary of State. I digress again here on the Bo's Nose Show. I'd like to hear from you all. If you want to give me a call at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887 to get here on the Bo's Nose Show. And we can talk about what you want to talk about instead of what I'm just blathering on about here on the Bose Nose Show, because really that's what it's all about, is your participation. I'd much rather talk about what you want to talk about. But if we don't talk about what we, I want to talk about, we can talk about what's going on in the news or locally here, or we can talk about my poodles. But really I want to kind of talk a little bit about um, the homeless camp on Highway 99. Now, it was an opportunity for the county to kind of gain control of some illicit camping on county property in a place that just was not supportive of anything. There was no bathroom facilities. There was no fresh water. Um, just was a bad place to have it. So we found out we had taken this piece of property in through foreclosure, and we opened a temporary camp there to give a place for the folks that were in the, in the, on the butterfly lot to move to. And we provided them 
in that location, sanitation facilities, trash disposal, a little bit more security in the way of fencing, um, and they were right across the street from services at the Lindholm Center that St. Vincent de Paul runs. So there was actually even access to two meals a day, shower facilities, laundry facilities. Um, so it's just a much better situation for them. We didn't expect it to be a long-term camp. We knew this was a temporary solution when we, we set it up and hope to transition it into something more structured and with more accountability because recently there's been several incidences of uh, behavioral issues between the folks that are trying either to camp just outside the camp or in the camp with some of the neighboring businesses. There's actually been a couple of assaults and some arrests around those assaults there. And it's starting to impact the local businesses there. Not to mention that property is not exactly zoned as a campsite. <laughs> it's a piece of commercial property on Highway 99. So it needs to have some change in structure to meet zoning codes, and it needs to be better managed behavior-wise so it has less impact on the neighborhood. You know, it, was, it was an emergency, temporary situation. It serves its purpose in some ways in that situation. So it really needs to get some kind of structure. And, and the county was kind of asking the city of Eugene to convert the structure to a dust to dawn structure, which does give it accountability. It does you know, require folks to leave during the day and come back at night to sleep in the warm. Uh, basically, they're like mash tents. Uh, if, if those of you that ever watch mash, uh, they're heated tents um, that uh, are far superior to, to sleeping um, in a, and they're on a cot too, heated cots on a heated tent versus uh, sleeping on the ground inside of an unheated tent. Um, you know, far better situation. Still not good, still not permanent housing of any kind or even an indoor shelter, but far better. And it has a lot more accountability in, in that um, you can kind of control um, who's coming and going a bit more and who's actually um, approved to be there. Uh, and the city of Eugene resoundingly voted not to do that today. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Camp 99. Um, we will uh, be continuing our discussions with the city. Um, we'll I think our next step is uh, the county is going to ask the city to lease the property from us and take over the, the management and responsibilities there uh, as it is inside, you know, city of Eugene uh, uh, proper and uh, really, uh, you know, should be um, a city run project there. So we'll see uh, where that progresses, but definitely uh, I hear the pleas of the business owners that are adjacent nearby and are having getting impacted by that camp. I really would would have been best, I think, to convert it to dust to dawn. Um, that there is a dust to dawn facility across Highway 99 that we have not had these kind of issues around. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But the news today is the city of Eugene rejected our offer to convert it to dust 
dust to dawn. So I don't know what the future of Camp 99 is, and um, we'll see. But uh, in the meantime, I'm much more interested in working on long-term for our homeless issues in this county, and uh, particularly uh, looking at the, um, the TAC um, report and what they recommend, which is we need about a 75-bed emergency shelter that's low barrier and non-religious um, in nature. Uh, and with that, about 300 more beds of supported housing that we can transition people into from that temporary shelter, those in combination will be enough to, over several years, get us down to zero unsheltered homeless people in the area as, you know, and have the ability to deal with illegal camping because there will be shelter beds available you know, in accordance with the Ninth Circuit Court decision in Martin versus the city of Boise. So it's um, going to be interesting to see what happens with Camp 99. Really interested in looking at what can we do to build that permanent uh, low barrier uh, emergency shelter and what we can do to continue to add these um, supported housing beds. In fact, it looks like we are moving uh, ahead uh, as fast as we can with the 51 bed facility we're going to be placing on uh, across from Autzen Stadium, known as the Commons on Martin, on MLK. Um, and that, that's moving along nicely. Uh, we approved um, uh, some of the contracts around that recently. And we should be starting construction on that next year. And uh, that, that'll add to our permanent supported housing stock. And there's other um, facilities that are on the drawing boards right now. Uh, and the dogs have entered the conversation. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear the dogs barking in the background on the Bo's Nose Show, but we are live from Elmira. And that means there's poodles in the background sometimes. But as we get ready to close the Bo's Nose Show, we're only about five minutes short, and but it's still plenty of time to get in a telephone call at 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Um, you know, just looking at those long-term solutions, if we have a roadmap to how we can actually get to zero unhoused in Lane County, then I think that's where we can can really start to make some headway on some of the um, behavioral crimes and everything else that comes with some of the, the illegal camping. But we have to get those permanent facilities, you know, on the drawing boards, constructed and up and running. And, I, and the faster we do that, the sooner we'll have long-term solutions to our, um, you know, the, the homeless situation here in Lane County. So kind of had a wide, varied discussion here on the Bose Nose Show today. Uh, talked about everything from health outcomes by what neighborhood you live in to the county fair and how well it did last summer and talked about economic freedom in a speech I gave back in 2011. 
and just how important economic freedom is. And when you think about some of the other stuff I talked about, like health outcomes and homelessness, if we had greater economic freedom, which leads to more creation of wealth and more opportunities for our citizens, maybe, just maybe, you know, and when you think about economic freedom, it's also about being able to build all sorts of housing, not limiting housing choices, but expanding them, expanding the ability for people to build non-traditional style housing or whatever, you know, that's part of economic freedom. We might just also start to make a dent in homelessness from the other end, where we prevent people from becoming homeless for financial reasons, where we prevent them from slipping into addiction or mental health issues because of the the impacts of losing a job or becoming uh, unemployed. Um, and so, you know, and at the same time, a wealthy community that has a high amount of economic liberty also supports our nonprofits and charitable organizations that provide the services to those that are less fortunate. So when you think about it, when we talk about long-term solutions, greater economic freedom, there's a long-term solution. Whatever we can do to turn the knobs in policy that increase economic liberty and the ability for people to create wealth, keep and use for their own enjoyment the fruits of their labors, the greater we're going to have capacity we're going to have to deal with problems and the more permanent solutions we'll have to those problems in our society here in Lane County and across the country and throughout the world. So really um, an important piece, you know, a message that was important in 2011, a message that's important today. So I just want folks to be thinking about that, that uh, economic liberty is just such an important. Thank you.